Lord, we pray. We thank you today because we have this great privilege of being able to worship you. Lord, we thank you because even though many of us have not realized it before in our lives, there came a time when we realized you are Lord of all. And Lord, we thank you today that we can lift our hearts with our voices today and say, Lord, we do indeed again say, Lord, you are Lord. You are King. You are Sovereign. You are the one that loves us with an everlasting love. And we thank you this morning we can come together in this place. And as we gather together, even though it's a a school hall during the week, as we come together in your name, this is the place where your people gather to worship and praise you. We thank you for this provision we have of this place this morning. We thank you that we know that you're meeting with us as we're meeting together. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Is that my coffee or my tea or chai latte or what is it? Water. Cool. Adam's Ale. That's really cool. Who's heard that one before? My grandmother used to talk about water being Adam's Ale. It's really, I have a bit because I think I need it. How are you doing? Very cool. You're thinking, what's he doing here again? He was here five weeks ago. Well, they're actually scraping the bottom of the barrel because uh, Julie is away in, in La Vida and Carl and Angel over in Australia. And, you know, so who on earth can we get? So we'll get the super annuant in again. And so here I am. Look at that. Actually, I'm not the only super annuant up here today because Ken on the base turned 65 this week. Isn't that awesome? I just... Doesn't look a day over 90 either. It's amazing. No, sorry, 19. I meant to say 19. Yeah, really cool. It's very good. I don't know what you think about boats. Who loves boats? Hands up high. Who loves boats? I love the idea of boats. I think boats are awesome. I love boats and I love water. But when you put boats and water together, I have a problem. Anyone else? And who's, you know those ads on TV about the wonderful inter-island ferry crossing between Wellington and Picton. Yeah, look at that. Isn't that awesome? Do you know what reality is? Look at this. This is a genuine video of a crook, a crook, a crook, a crook straight ferry uh, crossing. I think it's a cargo boat, actually, that one. But this is Cook Strait, right? Who's been on Cook Strait like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's out of fantasy, that earlier picture, isn't it? It's pure fantasy. They just, they hook you into going on this ride, and uh, this is really what happens. Look at that. Wow. Man alive. The Cook Strait Fury and I have had quite a history, and most of it's recorded in sick bags, actually, too. It's, you know, it's pretty awesome. I've left my calling card on quite a few Cook Strait Fury across. Anyone else? No one else. Am I the only one that gets sick on the ferry? Man. Who likes fishing? <laughs> I can provide the bait if you want to take me out with you. It's really, you know, I mean, it's just, I'm not great with boats. I'm not great with boats. This morning I want to talk about a more positive boat story. I think that's gone, hasn't it? Thank for the, I'm getting sick watching it, actually. I don't, I don't know about you. I want to read from Luke chapter 5 beginning there, verses 1 to 3. Now, am I in the way of this? What happens here? I'm in the way. I usually am. One day as Jesus... I'm in the way now, anyway. One day when Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee, 
The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Two different scenarios happening simultaneously, right? In one, there's a crowd that's gathered around Jesus and they're hanging on his words and he's giving them encouragement and challenging them and and probably many of their lives are already being changed by this as he's speaking. At, At the same time, off over the side here, there's a group of fishermen who've been out all night fishing and have not caught a single thing and they're washing their nets and cleaning up their equipment and they're really wanting to go home because it's been a frustrating night and they're really tired. And while they're busily cleaning their nets, there's no actual indication that they have been paying any attention to what Jesus is saying. But Jesus notices them, right? And he gets into Simon's boat, and from there he continues to speak to the crowd. I was thinking about this. I was thinking if Simon hadn't been listening before, he really had to start listening now, right? He couldn't ignore Jesus anymore. He could while he was speaking to the crowd. But I mean, all that talk might be great for all those sorts of people. But you know, Simon was a a real man, you know. He had real stuff to get on with in life. But now Jesus is in his boat. And Jesus had different plans. He was on a mission. He was wanting to win over these pretty hardened, tough, hard-to-get fishermen and use them for his purposes. Just think about Peter's boat for a moment. It wasn't like the ferry on Cook Strait, that's for sure. But over all the years, Simon, well, you know, I probably call him Peter sometimes. Let you know, Simon, Simon and Peter are the same people, right? Simon was what he started out with, and then he became Peter. And sometimes it talks about Simon Peter, and sometimes it calls him Simon. So if I start to go Peter and go Simon, will you forgive me, all right? Because, you know, all right, so you're sort of with me? He'd owned this boat for years. It was his tool of trade, right? But right now, it's become Jesus' preaching platform. That was pretty bizarre for Peter. But it was going to get even more unusual. Because once the preaching was over and the crowds had dispersed, Jesus told him to push the boat further out from the shore and to then go and put his nets over into the deep water. Now, the nets had already been washed and had already been folded up, and I guess he, all he was really wanting to do was to get home, get a good rest after such a hard night's work. Let's just pick up those next verses from verse 4 to 5. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, Peter was a well-seasoned, very experienced fisherman, wasn't he? I mean, you, you know, he knew all the tricks of the trade. He'd been working hard all night, no success, doing absolutely everything he knew how to catch fish. No results. And here now is this religious teacher who he doesn't really even know, telling him to put his nets out into deep water. What does Jesus even know about fishing? I mean, he has amazing things to say, but he's, isn't he a carpenter or something? Look what happens. You know this story anyway. But I'm working up to a point, believe it or not. When they had done so, 
they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Jesus got onto Peter's boat. And Peter's life would never be the same. And we've got to understand something today. This boat represented everything to Simon. Apart from when he had small amounts of time off to relax and to sleep and and all those things, it was his way of life. It was his livelihood. It was his main asset in his business, and it was worth a heap of money. And in a very real sense, this whole life, his whole life revolved around this boat. It was his life. The boat was his world. So I want to get you this, I want you to get this today. I want me to get it too. Jesus entered Simon's boat. In other words, Jesus entered Simon's world, and his whole world changed forever. When we become a believer in Jesus Christ, or give our lives to Jesus, or get converted, or ask Jesus into our hearts, or ask him into our lives, or get born again, or become a Christian, whatever language you want to use for that, describe that miracle of transformation that happens when Jesus becomes Lord of your life, it's not an event that impacts us just for a little while. It's not something that happens momentarily, then we move on to the next thing or the next experience, whatever. No, a true salvation experience is when Jesus enters our world, right? Every part of our world, not just Sunday morning service, not just life group nights or youth nights or whatever, but Jesus enters our world and he becomes part of every experience of every day, our thoughts, our actions, our decisions, our relationships, and so on and so on. Jesus got onto Simon's boat. He entered his world. And I think this morning, if ever Jesus were to give us the greatest key to evangelism or disciple-making, it is just that. If we really want to impact someone with the love of God and reach them with the power of the gospel, we're to get into their boat, so to speak, get into their world. And as we do, we take the presence of God with us. We've had a strange belief in Christian churches for years, it goes something like this. If we get a building or build a building or find a building to rent a nice building and we can create a welcoming atmosphere and we get great worship and awesome kids' programs and advertise on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and everything else, maybe even TV and outstanding pastors, of course, and, and amazing um, volunteers and all those things that happen, people just automatically come. Unchurched people will flock in the doors. It'll be a magnet to them and they won't be able to stay away. In other words, we'll build our boat and the people will be falling over each other to get on board. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus has just proven that to be wrong. Simon Peter didn't get into Jesus' boat. Jesus got into Simon Peter's boat. Now, this is not meant to sound arrogant in any way, but as Christians, we have the hope of the world in us. Jesus tells us that. The Bible tells us that. Living right inside us, we have the hope the world needs. 
In these days we're living, which, which we again in Christchurch have had this terrible events in recent times. Many people are feeling fearful or hopeless even, and they don't know what to do. We, we have in our hearts the hope of the world. And if we want our churches to reach the unchurched and see lives change and our churches continue to grow, we've got to get out there and get in people's boats, right? We need to enter their worlds. We need to do life with them so that hope that we have overflows into their lives. I know this message isn't even relevant out here because you guys, you know, I think it's meant to be for La Vida. I might have got it wrong today. This incident with Peter, or Simon, or Simon Peter, it's not called Peter Simon, I know. No, of course he's not. His boat happened, sorry, this incident with Peter and his boat happened right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So let's go back one chapter to Luke 4. So here we have Luke 5. We talked about Jesus getting to the boat. Let's go back. We're going to find here is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. It says, He returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Notice the word synagogue there. Synagogue was the place of the God-fearing Jews, the believers, if you like, where they went to worship, where they went to hear the word of God, taught and read and preached. And in a way, it was the Jewish equivalent of the church building of today. Now, Jesus' contemporaries expected him to always minister in the Jewish synagogue and only in the Jewish synagogue and exclusively to them. Now, on this day, which is, he got up and he read verses. You can check all this out because it's a long chapter. I've only just got a few verses from it. He read verses from Isaiah, and when he did that, he commented on them, and then everybody, it says, spoke well of him. They were amazed at him. They praised him. They thought he was fantastic. But Jesus continued speaking. And after some more minutes, you find later, and you can read those verses, what he said next when you get home, if you want, in chapter 4. But in a few minutes later, as he did that, their opinion of him changed dramatically. And we find just a few minutes later, in verse 28, after having just said that everyone praised him and thought well of him a few verses before, now it says all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard what he said. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of a hill in which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Man, what a day in a preacher's life. Everyone loves me. Now they want to kill me. You know, that sounds a bit right, doesn't it? In just a few minutes here, they went from praising him to becoming so incensed with rage that they tried to kill him on the spot. But what was it that really got these God-fearing Jews so angry? This is what it was. As he preached, Jesus clearly told them that he wasn't there just for them. He was also going to minister to the Gentiles, those outside of synagogue life, those currently outside the covenant, those who were outside uh, loving God in the way they knew it. He was going to offer grace and salvation to them, his, their sworn enemies, regardless of their race or color or background or religion. He was going to preach the good news to everyone. He was going to set everyone free. And all the benefits of relationship with God that the Jews already understood was going to be available to all the others as well. He was going to enter their world. And boy, did that infuriate them. 
They went from adulating him to trying to assassinate him in a very few short minutes. The very thing God has called us to do is to get outside the safe walls of the church with all the other safe believers and get involved with the people who are not yet in the church family. We're to take the blessing we have in relationship with him and get into people's worlds, get into their boats, and get into the worlds and lives of those who don't yet know him. It's the most effective form of evangelism there is. Jesus says to get in their boat because the only way most believers will have Jesus enter their world is when we enter their world. I think that's worth repeating. The only way people will have Jesus enter their world is when we enter their world. Now, don't get me wrong with this. Don't quote me wrong. Don't go and tell people Paul doesn't like church and doesn't think church is great and doesn't think church services are important. I'm not saying that at all. They are vital. Church is wonderful. It's vital. We gather together to worship and celebrate, encourage each other, etc. Then we scatter to touch the world, to come back together again, to scatter again. We've talked about this year, for years in our church, haven't we? To gather, to scatter, to gather, to scatter. The church gathers and the church scatters to gather, to scatter. Correct? Jesus got into Peter's boat. He entered his world. And as you read through the book of Luke and the other Gospels, you're going to find Jesus more and more from this point of time ministering to people out there in the towns, in their homes, right where they were. Let's go back to chapter 5. Can I ask a question about that thing at the back? I just found where it is again. It was that side before, wasn't it? It's changed over. I was looking going, where is it? Is that 10 minutes left? Cool. One of us is in big trouble. Luke 5. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax collector's booth. Follow me and me, my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later on, Levi becomes Matthew. Here's another one of those things, right? Levi, Matthew, Levi, Matthew. A tax collector sounds like a, a great job, right? It's got a good ring to it. But in those days, a tax collector was a real crook. A tax collector ripped people off. He stole. He cheated. He usually charged a whole lot more than he was supposed to so he could line his own pocket with the extra money. If you had a list of the top 100 most trusted professions, a tax, um, tax collector would be 150th on the list, right? They were hated and they were feared. And here Jesus got involved in tax collector Levi or Matthew's life. He entered his world, and Levi gave his life to Jesus straight away. That's really wonderful. Amazing. But that's just the beginning of the story, because look what happened next. I'll leave a few verses out here, but let's read the first couple. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. Hey, Levi threw a huge party for all his tax collector friends who didn't let go Jesus and invited Jesus along. What a great thing. Levi asked Jesus into his friend's world to get into their boat. Let me say that one of the worst things you can ever do when you come to Jesus is to get rid of all your friends. Uh Uh-oh, don't do it. Because when you know Jesus, you have the very thing they need in their lives. Don't abandon them, influence them. Don't get out of their lives. Bring hope to their lives. But here's the balance. Did Jesus get drunk at the parties? No way. 
Did he do stuff he wasn't supposed to when he got with the people? No way, he didn't at all. He went to their parties, got involved in their world so he could love them and see their lives changed by his presence. I think that's cool. There's going to be a heap of stuff you can't do once you belong to Jesus. But hey, unless God's called you to be a nun, you live life in the world, right? You're the salt of the world, right? You're the light in the world, right? You bring hope to your world. You take Jesus with you wherever you go. When you get into someone's boat, you get involved in their world, Jesus gets involved with you because the only way most people will have Jesus enter their world is when we enter their world. Seven minutes and five. Let's jump forward a few more chapters. I think we're okay. We're still on Luke, Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. That's interesting, sounds familiar. Tax collector, hmm. He was wealthy. No wonder, because the chief tax collectors actually even got more money from people, right, that they shouldn't have had. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. He wanted to see who Jesus was. That's that's intriguing. I I am almost certain, 99.999% sure, that somewhere along the line, his tax collector friends told him about the parties that were being held at Levi's house and Jesus was there. And he had found that some of his tax collector friends had been changed completely by these parties meeting with Jesus and he thought, I want to know who this Jesus is. It says he wanted to see who Jesus was. And so he got really curious. A huge crowd had gathered and he had to climb a tree to get a look. Who else remembers that lovely song we used to do? With the actions, right? I don't... How does the... Zacchaeus was a very little man. I don't think he was that small. And a very little man was he. He climbed up to the sycamore tree for he wanted the Lord to see. And when the dear Lord passed that way, he looked up to the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house for tea. Who remembers that? It's cool, eh? It's great how those little Sunday school things used to get the... Bible stories into your head, eh? Who else knew that? Did the actions, were they okay? Well, yeah, anyway. When Jesus reached the spot, verse 5, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zach, I know who you are, says Jesus. I know your name. I know where you're at. I want to be in your house. I want to get in your boat. I want to be in your world. I want to be in your life. Friends, this morning, Jesus knows who you are. He knows you by name. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through. He wants to be in your world. He wants to be in your life. And then we find that Zacchaeus says amazingly, I'm I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I've cheated any one of their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this house today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus came to seek and save lost people. Lost people are those who haven't yet discovered the sons and daughters of God. That was many of you here once. That was me once too. And I was brought up in a wonderful Christian family. Just being in that environment didn't make me a Christian. I think it was Billy Graham that might have said that just by sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car, right? At nine years of age, I knelt down in the chair in our lounge and asked Jesus to forgive me and take over my life. He, entered my, he came onto my boat. He entered my world, and he's been with me ever since. What about you this morning? Have you allowed Jesus into your boat? Have you invited him into your world? Friends, let's get into people's boats. Let's enter their worlds. Jesus wants us to get into people's lives because he wants to get into their lives. Ask the team to come back up. Let's close our eyes for a moment here this morning. Two minutes 51, isn't that good? So we have all our eyes closed. Just, just contemplating for a moment before we start to sing. Maybe there's two sides to this message today. There's the side of where are you at with Jesus in your boat. I'm not going to ask anyone to put their hand up or come out today in that, but I'm just going to say, if that's you today, speak to someone after the service. Ask for a book which will really help you on your way, which is called Pathway. Maybe get someone to pray with you. That's one side. Is Jesus in your boat today? The other one is, maybe we could ask the Holy Spirit this morning to pop in our hearts and our minds someone that really we could get more involved with that doesn't yet know Jesus. Since I've moved here to Lincoln, I've made some good friends with neighbors, lovely people. I love them. A couple of families, a couple of guys particularly, they don't know Jesus, but we've got great relationship. We're in each other's boats. We're in each other's lives. You know, that's, I'm praying for them. They don't yet know that they're children of God. They don't yet know that he is their, their God. But, you know, who have you got? Is there someone today that Lord can just put on your heart and you can think, yeah, I'm just going to make moves to be more involved in their world because I might be the only way that they're ever going to know that Jesus can be involved in their lives. Just ask the Holy Is there someone today that you can pop into your heart? might be more than one person. It might be a number. Maybe you're doing that. You're probably doing it wonderfully well already, preaching to those that this is what you do out here. Lord, we want to thank you today because each of us are here because somebody else. might have been our parents, might have been our grandparents, might have been a friend, got involved in our lives with the love of Jesus. And because of that, and they got into our boat, we are now in your kingdom, Lord. We want to thank you for those influences. We sang about the generations, Lord, and some of us can say there are generations behind us of people that loved you, and we've had that wonderful privilege of being on the front foot of being able to accept you because it's been around us throughout our lives. Others of us, we're the beginning of that. And from now on, there's going to be ones following us that are going to know Jesus. We want to thank you for those that are responsible for praying for us and influencing us that we could be part of your family. We give you thanks for that this morning. But Lord, we pray again today, help us to continue to reach those that don't yet know you. 
get involved in their worlds, in their boats, in their lives, to see them come to know you. Lord, it's not our own only reason. We love them because you've asked us to love people. But we do want to see them and experience the joys of knowing you and living for you. We thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. We're going to sing.